Right, it's my privilege to introduce Matt to you to preach this morning. Matt, come on up, you come. Um, Matt and Steph, as many of you know, um, lead our um, kids' teams overall. They um, head up the kids' teams for us, and they do a fantastic job of that, and I'm super thankful for all the hard work that they put in behind the scenes. Um, And these guys are a real blessing to our church. I, I hope you know that. It's not just that they're looking after our kids for us, but... I really believe that God's hand is upon these guys. They know I know that, and I think that, and that I'm being a pain to them um, in life in general. But can we welcome Matt as he preaches to us? Let's be encouraging. Um, we've done this summer slightly differently to how we have, as you know. We've had um, just guest preachers from among us over these um, last few weeks, and I've heard really good reports. I haven't been here for any of them, um, but I've heard really good things about it. So as Matt is preaching this morning, can we just be uber-encouraging? Um, Zeke said... Um, just uh, sorry, not Zeke, Malika. I was asking her how it went a couple of weeks ago, and she said, it's, "I'm a teacher, and I'm used to students responding to me." And when I stopped, everybody just looked at me. So um, if you could smile and go, "Come on, Matt," that'd be great. Let's pray for him, Father. We want to thank you for Matt. We just want to lift him to you this morning and pray that you would bless him, fill him with your Spirit as he opens your Word right now. And we pray, Lord, that as much as you bless us through it, you would thrill Matt's heart. We thank you for the gifts and talents that you've given this man, and we want to bless him and lift him up and encourage him this morning. So we, we pray that you would do that by your spirit, and that we too would um, partner with him and encourage him. Lord, speak to us this morning through your word, we pray in your mighty name. Amen. Come on, let's, let's um, welcome Matt. Thanks, Matt. Can you hear me? Excellent. That is a very good start. Thank you, uh, Colin, for that very kind uh, introduction. You've got everyone's expectations nice and high, um, which is uh, helpful. Um, this microphone makes me feel like Britney Spears, but I'm sure you'll all agree that I'm far more attractive than her. Um, Malika's right, you are quite a scary looking bunch of people, so um, I am quite nervous, so please do be praying for me this morning. This is uh, the, well, it's the second time I've done this. I, I had the privilege of being able to preach in the East at the beginning of August. Um, so uh, that was brilliant, and it's great here to be with you this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt, uh, and as you know, I'm married to Steph, and we've got a little daughter, Isla. Um, speaking of Isla, I thought I knew a thing or two about uh, humility and serving. Um, Isla's 16 months old. And since she came along, Steph and I, our lives have changed dramatically. Uh, We used to be able to leave the house within about an hour of waking up. Uh, We now need three. But this is fine because we're always awake by about five. Um, We used to sometimes go out for coffee, which was lovely. Now we tend to walk around for hours on end pushing the buggy, trying to get Isla to fall asleep. And we even used to sometimes go out in the evenings for a drink or to the cinema or to meet up with friends And now we're in bed by nine o'clock, absolutely shattered. I'm not even going to get started on the explosive nappies, the 150 decibels screaming, the food fight mealtimes, and more recently, the strong-willed negotiations. And that's just Steph. Anyone that's ever looked after a young child knows exactly what I mean. This morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, and what true gospel humility looks like. And preparing for this preach, I'll be honest with you, has caused me to examine my own heart and priorities. 
And uh, I pray and trust that the living God will reveal his heart and priorities for you today also. So the world around us tells us to look out for number one, doesn't it? It says that our happiness trumps anything else. The best-selling books, TV shows, and shop windows tend to offer advice on how to get the most out of life. But God didn't just create us to consume resources. He actually created us to add to life on earth. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And these good works are our service to others. We're also saved to serve God. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work. We're not saved by service, but we are saved for service. And we're also called and commanded to serve God. Jesus was very clear in Matthew 20 when he said that your attitude should be like my own, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, for Christians, service isn't optional. It's not something that we should try and squeeze into our diaries if only we've got the time. It's the heart of Christian life. And Jesus himself, of course, is the best example we've got. Jesus came to serve and to give, and those two verbs should define our lives on earth. The key question for us this morning, Gateway Church, is do we want our stories to be a true reflection of Jesus' story? God calls us to be set apart from worldly living. He wants us to focus on what's important to Jesus, and the interests of Jesus are always other people. God's purposes for our lives is that we would humbly and joyfully serve others. I have to ask, are you, am I really doing this at Gateway? And not just in Gateway, but in life. We don't, of course, serve God out of guilt or fear or duty, but out of joy and deep gratitude for what he's done for us. It cost Jesus his life to purchase our salvation. And because of this, our past has been forgiven. Our present is given meaning and our future is secured. So what's at stake? Well, if I intentionally or unintentionally decide not to care for the needs of others, then I think I'm at risk of missing the whole message of the gospel. A saved heart is one that wants to serve. But gospel humility is costly, and we must be willing to make sacrifices. So although for Steph and I, serving our daughter Isla is a humbling experience, it doesn't quite match up to the gospel humble examples that Paul gives us in his letter to the Philippians. You see, really, it's easy for Steph and I to lovingly care for our daughter. Well, most of the time. But it's much harder for us to love and care for the needs of others. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, it is possible. Now, you probably wonder why I keep referring to the term gospel humility. Well, Timothy Keller defines this term very simply in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He says that gospel humility is not thinking more of myself, as in, as in modern cultures, or less of myself, as in traditional cultures, but simply thinking of myself less. This book is well worth a read, and as you can see, it's quite small, and it's only 45 pages. It's my kind of book, and I'd certainly recommend it to you. 
Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you'll know that we've been called to live differently from the rest of the world. Paul says in Philippians that we should conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he also says that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await our saviour from there. So we're created, saved, called and commanded to serve. And that's when our stories become a true reflection of his story. And that's where our passage this morning comes in. So if you'd like to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and I think it's going to appear on the screen. Um, But first of all, a tiny bit of background. The church in Philippi was founded by Paul on his second missionary journey. It was the first church in Europe, and it was uh, a Roman colony, so it was mainly made up of non-Jews. And it was written, the letter was written by Paul from a Roman prison in about 61 AD. And it's basically a thank you letter to thank the Philippians for sending a financial gift to Paul while he was in prison with one of their members. And Paul relied on gifts while he was in prison to buy food and clothes because you didn't get that in Rome in a prison those days. The letter itself is split into seven illustrations that focus on a a poem which retells the story of Jesus, and we're looking at one of those sections today. Paul uses Timothy and Epaphroditus as living, breathing examples of people living out Jesus' story. And he says this is the key bit, that they're worthy of imitation, so they're examples for us to look to for our own lives. Okay, let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him to you just as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. And indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I will have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the name of the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Okay, so There's four key points from this text that I feel God's put on my heart for you this morning, and I'll just run through them quickly. So the first one is from verses 20 and 21, where Paul says that he wants to send Timothy to the Philippians because Timothy genuinely cares about them. He's looking at what matters to Jesus and not himself. Timothy struggled with timidity, and he let others look down on him. And five or six years earlier, Paul sent him to Corinth to try and correct some of the problems in the church there, And he failed. Timothy wasn't exactly what you would call a natural leader. But Paul makes a big deal about him. He says there's no one else like him, and everyone else just looks out for themselves. Paul wasn't trying to make out that Timothy was perfect, but he was highlighting what actually matters. 
And that's the state of Timothy's heart. It's a willing and gospel humble one. Gateway needs to be a church full of Timothys. An example of this could be some of our authentic youth group that are willing to serve on our kids' teams every single week. The second point from verse 22 is where Paul says that Timothy has proven himself by serving Paul like a son in the work of the gospel. Timothy didn't prove himself by winning the Young Evangelist of the Year award or by increasing the church's bank account tenfold or even by writing the 18-month vision. Sorry, Colin. Paul says that Timothy has proved himself because he has served. And how did he serve? He served Paul like a son serving his father. And that's how we should serve too. Paul was training Timothy like an apprentice in the work of the gospel. And he was, Paul was expecting Timothy to carry on the work after Paul had gone. Paul expected younger Christians to learn, observe, help, and then to take over leadership. The more we want to serve, you see, the more God can use us for his purposes, just like he sent Timothy to the Philippians. Gateway, yet again, needs to be a church full of Timothys. Another example of this could be some of our children themselves. Sometimes when Steph or I or some of the other kids' church leaders are setting up before the service on a Sunday morning, some of the kids themselves will come in and ask to help. They'll volunteer for a job. Paul also expected older Christians to teach, model, mentor, and then to hand over leadership. And young and old, by the way, isn't just talking about age, it's spiritual maturity. So if you're more senior in your years, don't ever think that you're past it. The third point from verse 27, where Paul says that for Epaphroditus, serving God was costly, very costly. In fact, he almost died. Epaphroditus became really ill when he visited Paul in prison. Just before this, Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Soldier is a bit of a strange term, isn't it? The role of a soldier in the British army is to protect the nation, prevent conflict, deal with disaster, and fight the nation's enemies. A soldier must be willing to obey the orders of his commanding officers and make sacrifices. A soldier could be sent away from home and from his family and into very dangerous situations. A soldier is fighting for a cause that he or she believes in. Epaphroditus could have decided not to go to see Paul. He could have said it was too far or too dangerous or that he couldn't afford it or that it wasn't fair on his family. He could have said that he would pray instead or that he would send someone else with the gift to Paul or that he would lobby Rome to try and persuade them to release Paul. And none of those things are bad. But Epaphroditus was a soldier for God. He obeyed God and was willing to make sacrifices, even if it meant his own life. In fact, he had the same attitude that Paul had when Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He considered God's agenda more important than his own. Guess what? Gateway needs to be a church full of Epaphroditus's. An example of this could be people here within the body that are willing to give their time, their finances, their energy to work such as the Furniture Project or Swindon Night Shelter or to help support our friends in Burundi. The final point 
from verses 29 and 30 is where Paul says that the Philippians are to honour Epaphroditus and people like him who risked their lives for the sake of Christ. The work of Christ in this case was simply serving Paul in prison. Paul says that we are to honour and encourage with people like Epaphroditus who are willing to risk it all. And that's a call to the whole church, isn't it? Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be thinking, why should I look to Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples to live by? Why shouldn't I live my life my way? Well, I'd encourage you to read the poem in verses 6 to 11, which is like a paraphrase of Jesus' life in just six verses. We, his followers, are told to imitate his way of life. And this is when our story becomes a true reflection of Jesus' story. There's quite a few parallels with this poem and with the examples that Paul gives us. For example, the poem says Jesus humbled himself by becoming human, the form of a servant. Timothy humbled himself by serving Paul like a son. And Epaphroditus by caring for Paul in prison. The poem says that Jesus was obedient to God even to death on the cross. Timothy was obedient to Paul in going to the Philippians and Epaphroditus by going to see Paul in prison. The poem says that God exalted Jesus to the highest place, that he gave him the name above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Timothy and Epaphroditus are highlighted for being good models for living. And we're told that Epaphroditus should be honoured for being willing to risk his life. And finally, the poem ends with, To the glory of God the Father. Well, Timothy and Epaphroditus' lives glorified God the Father, didn't they? They weren't without fault, but God made them without fault, just like he makes us without fault, all because of the cross. The most quoted verse in the Bible just about says it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Steph and I were fortunate enough to be on the receiving end of some selfless serving when we were on our honeymoon in Italy. We'd spent a lovely 10 days in Sorrento in the south, and we thought it would be a good idea to hire the cheapest car we could find and drive to Rome for the weekend. Now, I don't know if you've ever driven in Italy before, but I imagine that their highway code says something like, it's every man for himself. Matters were complicated somewhat by the lack of a sat-nav. We only had a proper paper map. Google had told us it would take three hours, and seven hours later, we were well and truly lost. I was desperately trying to keep my eyes on the road and avoid the hundreds of near misses with mopeds, and I quickly learned that Steph could not read a map. The road signs weren't very helpful either, as they were in Italian. We soon found ourselves trying to squeeze our tiny Fiat 500 down an ever-narrowing street. We folded in the wing mirrors, but eventually had no choice but to stop in our tracks, as we couldn't afford to scratch the car up any more than we had done. As we sat there, looking rather embarrassed, a local girl on a bicycle cycled up behind us and banged on the window, calling out, Are you British? I apologise for my accent. Although... I'm sure she was really thinking, blooming incompetent British tourists kept in everybody's away. Yeah. Uh, Mamma mia. 
Anyway, this lady was incredibly servant-hearted, and she said that we could follow her out of the network of side roads and pointed us in the right direction. This detour took her well out of her own way, and she was willing to give up her own agenda in order to help us out. Let's just say that this um, experience allowed Steph and I ample opportunity to practice the conflict resolution skills that we'd picked up on our marriage preparation course a few weeks earlier. I wonder if it hadn't have been for that nice young lady that we'd still be in Italy now. So back to Timothy and Epaphroditus. What can we take from their examples? Well, to redefine Timothy Keller's gospel humble definition, we can start thinking about other people more. What a joy it is to be able to make ourselves available to love and serve others. What a freedom it is not to be crowded out by our own needs and schedules. Dr. Martin Luther King once said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? This is much bigger than just Gateway, but thinking for a minute about Gateway, how do you serve people on a Sunday morning? And how would you define the relationships you have with other believers? If they're not overwhelmed with joy, why not? The Philippian church was started with a successful businesswoman and a rough-as-you-like jailer two very diverse individuals. Now, we've got diverse individuals too. Not that I'm saying any of you are as rough as you like, but take encouragement, Gateway. Also, Philippi was a city that worshipped idols. Does that sound familiar? It's just like Swindon. Take encouragement. Of course, serving others isn't easy, and we need to be willing to make sacrifices but we need to come to God daily and ask him to fill us afresh. God gives us gifts and abilities, passions and personalities, experiences and lessons, and all of these can make us better, more gospel, humble men and women. We should pray this morning for these things to be released among the body in a new way, and that we would have the relationships with each other that God intends. We also need to honour the leaders here at Gateway, We must be willing to learn, observe, help, and when asked to, to take over leadership. And leaders doesn't just have to mean elders. It can mean connect group leaders, kids church leaders, worship band leaders, hospitality group leaders. How do you honour the leaders here at Gateway? And if you're a leader yourself in some capacity, are you a good example for others to follow? Whom are you raising up for God's work? I have to ask myself, am I modelling Christ to our kids when I serve in kids' church? Probably not all the time. A servant-hearted leader is first and foremost a servant. They do every task with equal dedication. And remember, nothing is beneath the work of a servant. And we must remember that we're stewards. God owns it all. We should pray this morning for a fresh anointing on our leaders here at Gateway. We also need to recognize that serving is costly. We need to be ready to experience suffering, and we should try and see it as an opportunity and not an obligation. In fact, we should try and have the same attitude that Paul had. When he was in prison, he said that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. We must remember that our identity is in Christ, and that God doesn't ask us to give anything that he hasn't already given. By putting God's agenda first, even when it hurts, is when our story truly becomes an expression of Jesus' story.
So do you still give when it's inconvenient? Do you still care for the needy when you're exhausted? And do you still show love to the people that irritate you the most? Just like Jesus, we've got the joy of always being on the lookout for ways to help others. God calls us to shine like stars in the sky and be a people that press on towards the goal. We should be living in the light of eternity. And preparing for this preach has shown me just how much of that race I've still got left to run. We should pray this morning for those that people that are going through sufferings at the moment and trials and pray that they would know that their identity is in Christ and that they would be able to see their suffering um, as part of his story. And finally, we should raise and encourage each other in each of our ministries. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about there being different kinds of service, but all are for the same Lord. He says there's many parts, but just one body. He says the weaker parts are indispensable. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The world honors those that are intelligent, beautiful, rich, and powerful. But Paul says the church should honor those that live their lives completely for Jesus. So what kind of people do you honor? Do you look up to people that live their lives completely for Jesus? And what does it look like to honor these people? We should pray for, encourage, and honor each other in our ministries this morning. We're blessed at Gateway to have so many people that are willing to serve in so many different areas, both in church and outside of church, but we always need more. So I'd really encourage you, if you're not serving on a team this morning, please sign up. So we've looked at the biblical truth around humility and serving and how our story becomes a true expression of Jesus' story here in Gateway, in Swindon, and in the world. But what does it look like when we run the race when we reach the goal and when we finally arrive at the destination. If we strive towards true gospel humility, forgetting ourselves and allowing God's perfect and eternal purposes to drive us, if our hearts yearn to serve others even when it's costly, if we're the first to joyfully volunteer before anyone's even asked, and if we're willing to let God use our gifts, passions and experiences if we honour those that lead us and if we model Christ to those whom we lead, if we free up our time and are observant to the needs of others, and if we bless, encourage and help other believers in their ministries, and if we do this, whether we're young or old, rich or poor, healthy or sick, working or unemployed, rejoicing or grieving, if we're willing to forfeit treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal, then we can look forward to treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Of course, we don't serve to earn salvation. Our performance in the courtroom of life doesn't lead to the verdict. If you've put your faith in Jesus, the verdict has already been given before the performance even takes place. And that's why, in fact, for Christians, the verdict leads to the performance. The moment we receive the gospel, God says to us, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. God credits Christ's perfect performance to us, and he adopts us into his family. 
when the verdict is in, we perform on the basis of that verdict. We don't serve to build up our CVs or to make ourselves look good. We serve for the joy of serving. And we help people to help people, not to make ourselves feel better. And then God says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we here at Gateway can get to grips with the true message of the gospel, then we'll want to become a more gospel-humble men and women. The strapline on the British Army's website under the What We Do section says we are always ready to serve. Wouldn't it be great, Gateway, to become known as a people that are always ready to serve? Mother Teresa once said, unless life is lived for others, it's not worthwhile. Let's make our lives worthwhile. I'd like to respond now. We've got some time left, and we're going to do um, we're going to share communion with each other. So we're going to break bread, and I'd encourage you that if you have um, if you know Jesus and 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 if you love the Lord, then please take part in this meal. We do this to remember Him. God calls us to to do this, to share in this meal together, to remember him and to remember the sacrifice on the cross and to remember the the new life that we are all raised into. And I would love us to be able to do this in small groups um, and for us to pray with each other, um, pray for gifts and passions to be released among us in order to help us serve each other better and not just in here but outside Uh, in in the world as well. I would love us to be able to encourage and bless and honour each other in each of our ministries as well. So please, let's look to encourage people. Um, And also, there's a, you know, part of our worship is, is practical, isn't it? So please, if you feel led this morning, then feel free to come and speak to one of us or or speak to one of the leaders of one of the groups and, and sign up to serve. Um, as Colin highlighted at the start, we're pretty short on um, people to serve on our kids' teams at the moment. Um, and, and as things stand, we're actually not able to run Explorers on, on one or two weeks um, in, in, from September going forward. So please do. I'm not trying to make people feel bad, but you know we need just... Men, men and women that are willing to give themselves to serve. Um, I think it'd be great if the band could uh, maybe come back up and just lead us as we, as we break bread and drink the juice with each other and just pray for one another. And let's just let God minister to us as well.